Episode 150, Danielle Gibson, jewelry designer, coach, and confrontation expert. What started to happen is I started to hear the word confrontation come up a lot. And it would, it would be like, I'm not good at confrontation or I'm scared of confrontation. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about our guests, look for links in the show notes, or you can go to markgraven.com slash mistake 150. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you do, please rate and review the podcast. Please share a link to it on social media. Thanks again for listening. Hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven, and our guest today is Danielle Gibson. She describes herself as a confrontation expert, and she's a certified performance coach. Her firm is Daniel Gibson Coaching and Consulting, and you can find her online. This is a great URL, theconfrontationalist.com. So there'll be a link to that in the show notes. Um, Danielle uh, was previously owner and designer at a jewelry company, Daniel Gibson Designs. She has a degree in fine arts, and uh, I think this is interesting, also studied the Italian language and literature in Italy. Um, so Danielle, first off, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Um, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm really excited to be here um, and uh, talk about mistakes today. This will be fun. Well, thanks. I'm I'm well, I'm glad that you and other guests you know think it, it's it's fun or at least it's engaging and it's good reflection. Um, before we get into that, I mean, I'm I'm jealous. I've only spent a little bit of time in Italy. I'm I'm hoping, guessing that was not a mistake to go. Well, how long did you live there? So. Um, I was I studied there for a semester when I was in college. I was an art major and it was the only country I could go to that where I could get credits and it terrified me because it required that I learn another language. Um but as it turns out I really loved learning another language. So I was there for 6 months and then I went back home. I finished school, I worked for about a year and a half and then I moved back. Um, thinking it would be another six months to a year, and it turned into almost two and a half years. Hmm. So like it was experience. not at all a mistake. Well, good. There's there's no shortage of art to to study over there. Well, it, it's also learning a different um, way of life that made me go. Why is America supposed to be the best country in the world? I I, I really like. I'd like to like update that statement. That's that's certainly um, yeah. Until you get exposure of visiting other cultures, it's it's a mistake to think your whatever country you're you're born in. It's a mistake to think your country's way is the only way or the best way necessarily. I know, I know, and it's funny because I'm like, this must have been a slogan at some point that just never went away. Like like something after a war or or but every country thinks their country is the best. I mean, Italians not only do they think their country is the best, but they think their region is the best. Yeah. It's crazy. They're part of Italy, you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Each, yeah. each and, and also if you're below Rome, that's like bad. If you're above, like it's, there are all these weird territory issues and, you know, there's, there are a lot of different regions and, but that's what makes it such a great country 
um, for me as a tourist, yeah. maybe not for them. I don't know. Yeah. But, well, you know, for a long time, it wasn't a unified country. So that history yeah. kind of continues itself in a way. That's right. All right. So uh, welcome to Italy talk. We're doing, no, that's right. That's a different, <laughs> that would be a fun podcast. But back to my favorite mistake, Danielle, with the different things you've done in your career, um, thinking back, what would you say is your favorite mistake? So it's more recent. Uh, it's it's a fairly recent. So I I went to get certified for for coaching, and it was an eight month program. And so it was all new to me. And once you get through the program, and I'm not I'm not unique in this. There's this this, this desire to like go and do and 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 without knowing almost anything. Like all it was was learning a methodology. So I spoke to a, there are a lot of coaches who, who help coaches build their brand. And first and foremost, you shouldn't hire a coach to help you build your brand because they're a coach. They're not a branding expert. So there's that. And um, I mean, it works for some people. It didn't work for me. And, and so I was just done with the, with my certification and she was telling me how she worked and, and I was so eager to to get started that I chose to work with her. And it was a very costly investment and we did it. I created a website and I branded myself. And then once I was done, I realized I created a brand for an audience that I couldn't find that, that was a very specific audience. And then I, I spent a couple of months going, trying, and then I thought, okay, this isn't going to work. You can't just stay with it because you just spent a lot of money. You have to kind of eat it. And so I chose to scrap it and go so, and, and do something else. So it was a lesson to not choose to do something because I want to, because I was not informed enough to make yeah. the decision. So before digging into the story there, so the confrontationalist, that's yeah. that was your second attempt at branding and did did you generate it's that? It's my third. It's oh, actually it's your third. My third. Oh, yes. okay. Third third times the charm. Yes. So yes. tell us more about I'm curious of those cycles and then how you found this. Okay. Term. So yeah. I when I was working for the man, um I I worked a lot with different agencies, branding, marketing, advertising agencies, and I thought they're a very toxic environment. I should approach them. And so my first uh, niche was that, that I was approaching the agency world and that didn't work. And then I kind of became vague and I became like a business and life strategist because I was helpful in business and I didn't want to be a life coach. And it's, there's all of this stigma around the coaching industry. Um, And then I just kind of uh, helped people in various ways, um, in life. I mean, the bottom line is if I work with you with you on your life, I'm going to help your business is going to get better and vice versa. So I did that for a few years. And then what started to happen is I started to hear the word confrontation come up a lot. And it would, it would be like, I'm not good at confrontation or I'm scared of confrontation. And because I'm a fairly assertive person and the that was used. I'm not good or I'm scared of confrontation was used in all of these different contexts. 
I started to kind of look at that and go, what are they talking about exactly? And, and what does it entail truly to be com- confrontational? And it's also the word itself is seen in negatively. People think it means conflict when in fact, conflict is what generally arises when you don't confront something. So what I did is I looked at areas that, that required to be confrontation and most of them are conversations and um, well, all of them are conversations. It, 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 it entails speaking. And then what happens when you're not confrontational? How does that affect you negatively? So I kind of did this, my own little research. And then I was like, okay, so what do I do with this? And because it's really hard to stand out in the coaching world, I thought it would be helpful to be provocative. And knowing that this word is scary to people. Um, I first, I created a word, the confrontationalist. I can't tell you what it means. I guess I'm a confrontationalist, but um, I am a confrontation expert and my URL is the confrontationalist. So basically what happened is I hired someone again to help brand me. I figured out my definition of confrontation, which is to deal directly with something or someone you've been avoiding out of fear. and. And then I, I I spent a lot of time talking about it. There's an app called Clubhouse that people um, go on, and I I would talk about it, and I was able to learn how to actually talk well about this so that people understood what I meant because I'm changing the definition yeah. as people know it. Well, confrontationalist. While it takes a little practice to to yeah. say smoothly, <laughs> I mean, I, I yeah. think of you know hospitalist is a physician who works primarily in the hospital, hospital medicine. So I would say, or a conversationalist is somebody who's good, it sounds, at conversation. But you know, someone could say they're a good conversationalist, right? So I think right. that's not a negative term, conversationalist, right. but there's usually a modifier. Right. You're right. I mean, I agree with you. Um, to say someone's confrontational is probably right. almost always 99% of the time used as a criticism, unless maybe it's an attorney or somebody who you want to yeah. be, or like it makes you think of like aggressive, which is it not does. not exactly how you're defining it. Or but you use the word assertive. How is confrontational different than assertive? Right. So I can give you a few examples of, of of what I help people with. So a lot of people are have a really hard time being direct, and and that's never been my problem. So so for example, growing up. I would be in, you know, workshops or I'd be in, 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 in class or something. And I'd ask questions. And at the end of the, the, whatever it was, people would come over to me and thank me. And I'd be like, why are you thanking me? I just asked a question. And, and it, for years, I, I was like, what, why aren't you asking the question? I don't understand. And so with the coaching I've been doing, I understand that the reason why a lot of people don't open their mouth when they have questions is because they they literally say, I don't want to sound stupid. So I'm like, you know, I'm a smart person. I say stupid things all the time. I don't have a problem with that. But to me, that means that that's a, a limiting belief that they have about themselves. So being assertive means speaking up. It means being that person who asks questions being that person who might have an opinion that's contrary to others and offering it up 
and not being concerned with the fact that someone might not like it. I mean, that's actually what you need to be. You can't be concerned with what someone else thinks if you want to be a true confrontationalist because mm-hmm. just their opinion, you know, it's not anything more than that. So being assertive, it could mean being straightforward with a client. It could mean being straightforward with your boss. It could mean being straightforward with your parents. Like it, it's anything. So that's one thing. Yeah. And, and then and that just leads a, a thought to, on that real quick. Sorry yeah. um, to interrupt. It, it doesn't necessarily mean um, oppositional or combative. Nope. Like you could be assertive in a way that's not necessarily disagreeing, right? It's ne- it's almost never, it's it's asserting your opinion or your feeling. So for example, if we were having a conversation and you said something that um, felt bad, I felt bad as a result of that. And I would say, I just need to stop right now because something you just said, tr- I got triggered and I don't want to hold on to it. So I'm just going to say something now. This is about me. It's just how it landed. It could be that. Or it could be in the workforce when a boss tells you to do something, but you have an idea of something that you think is more efficient. And then you could go, well, I was kind of thinking that maybe this would be a good approach. And that is really hard for people to do because for a number of reasons, because the boss might have an ego and he may not like it. Or you are intimidated by that person because he's authority or she's authority, or you just don't have a very high opinion of yourself and your ideas. So it's almost never combative, ever. I mean, it could be perceived as combative by the other person, but that's not something you can control. Yeah. Now, your comfort with confrontation or speaking up or assertiveness, like, do you think that comes from? like upbringing, family environment where this was demonstrated to you or it was encouraged and welcome? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a house where um, you could pretty much say anything. And that's, there's a lot, of, there was a lot of oversharing also. And there it was very often without a filter. And um, so I saw that. Uh, and I didn't see it, by the way, in the most beautiful way. I mean, it was a fairly toxic environment. But, you know, one of my parents was very, no, no filter, always, you know, yelling and, and lots of lots of talking and yelling. And But the thing was, is that I was never told to not speak up. Mm-hmm. So I learned it was safe to do that. Whereas I think a lot of people are told to be quiet or told not to speak. Mm -hmm. So I do think that's a big part of it. Yeah. So um, looking back to your story, because I mean, there's a lot more I want to ask about being direct and, um, you know, constructive confrontation and what have you, but, but back to your story of, of hiring that coach, um, what, what were some of the lessons learned that you would apply now if you were looking to hire somebody to assist you to be a partner vendor, whatever term you might want to use to you and your business. So one of the things that is a really important lesson for everyone about everything, in my opinion, is to not make a decision when there's, when you're emotionally involved in it. So I had an idea of what I wanted my life to look like. And it was, it was all just kind of fluffy 
you know, nothing linear. And she was going to provide me with the way to go. And, and so I was making up a story basically. And which is what a lot of people do. And, um, and so that is one of the biggest lessons, which is to never make a decision. Ideally you're making a educated decision, but I didn't have enough information to be educated, but I didn't know that yet. So I would say that I learned that it's always, it's always really helpful to give yourself a beat before you do something. And, you know, I wrote a blog once that was called what to do when you don't know what to do. And um, one of the things that I suggest is for you to wait until you do know what to do. But at that time, I was so eager without knowing that I was actually creating a business. The business is of coaching, but, but the structure is a business. And so it didn't occur to me to look around and talk to different coaches and be able to weigh, you know, what, 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 what feels right to me. It was just, it was a, it was almost like a, a knee jerk. Um, as if she were the only person in the world who does Mm -hmm. that, like the cut to now, everyone does it, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's always do the, do your research is the lesson. Do your Mm -hmm. research. Do not make emotional decisions when you're emotionally involved give yourself some time to think about it. There's, it's not, it doesn't need to be right now. Sure. You know, it doesn't need to be in a month, but it could be in three days. Yeah. So those were two that were, that were, that were big for me. I mean, it it seems like there's different aspects of the mistake that you've uh, pointed to maybe the mistake of rushing into a decision, maybe the mistake of choosing somebody that wasn't really the right fit for what you were needing you know, I think of like writing a book, you wouldn't hover, you wouldn't hire um, a cover designer to help with the proofreading of the inside of the book. You know, it's different skill sets. You might need each of them right. at a different time, but you could hire someone who's a bad fit. And then there's maybe another mistake of, um, I think maybe you've, you've alluded to this, of um, not looking at alternatives. Do you fixate on the first person you find as opposed to maybe finding three? I mean, this, this is helpful if you're hiring a plumber or Absolutely. a life coach or uh, an orthopedic surgeon, perhaps. Yeah. In fact, when I hired this last person to help me brand the confrontationalist, I was like, I don't know how to do this. It's as if the last however many years and that mistake that I made didn't ever exist. Like it, it was as if I were, you know, I had amnesia or something. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, what are you doing? Of course, you know that people do this. You've spoken to coaches who do this. And I actually, almost made a similar mistake again, because when you're in an industry, sometimes it's really hard to see outside of the bubble. So I spoke to a few coaches who, who actually did have a marketing, you know, background, a couple of them. And I, and I, and I just had this, I had this gut feeling that it was really important to not have anyone who was going to be looking through the coaching lens at at branding me. So I went with someone who on occasion does brand coaches, but she does a whole array of other things because I wanted someone with a different perspective. And that's what my gut told me to do. And and I just had to go through the motions of all of the other people. Sure. Then Danielle, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe final question related to the experience that you've shared here. Um, 
like how, what are some of the lessons now that you apply either to being a coach or even before that in terms of being selected if someone is looking at you or perhaps others to help them are, are, are the lessons that you then try to apply to help them make sure that there's a good fit with you, for example? Well, I'm a huge advocate of, of working on trusting yourself because I think that your intuition is never wrong because it's a sense. It's like saying your sense of smell is wrong. It's never wrong. And, um, and I think it's really important to, to feel that this person can help you, you know, and again, that's checking in with yourself. And I think that that's important in everything, every decision you ever make. Um, and, and the fact of the matter, there are people that, that I've spoken to that I believe are not, I'm not a good fit for, and they're not a good fit for me. So, um, and I let them know that, that there are probably other people out there because my style may not work or whatever it is. So I think that when it comes to finding a coach, it needs to be someone who that person needs to resonate with you and help you find the clarity that you need, because that's what coaching is all about is getting clarity so that you can get unstuck and move forward. So earlier you talked about, and I think this is a really important point and something I see a lot in different workplaces where people are scared to speak up. Right. Um, they're like you said, they're afraid of looking stupid. They're afraid and they're afraid of getting in trouble right. with the boss. And I've seen some things recently, you know, posted online where let's say it's ground rules posted for uh, a meeting or some sort of environment. And, and, and there's this point I think is well intended, but it's sort of, I think, pointing the finger at people, it says like, don't be afraid to speak up. And right. I kind of react a little bit like, well, yes, we could all, maybe it would be ideal if we were all more yeah. assertive, if we all used our voice. Yeah. But to me, it almost feels like there's a little bit of blaming of like, shame on you for not speaking up. What's your thought in terms of a workplace dynamic of making it safe as it was in your family to speak up? Well, I, I think that's a really good question because because what, so what that's, that, that statement means uh, that the people don't speak up, right? That's what, mm -hmm. that's what that statement says. It's a reaction. And, to that. Yeah. but what the person who wrote that statement doesn't realize is that either that person or the organization has told that the employees that it isn't safe mm -hmm. to do that. Right. So for example, if I were to speak up, Obviously, I'm not the person they're talking to. That wouldn't be me. But but the thing is, is that there is a fear-based culture in corporate America. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of control that that they want to have. I mean, there's a lot of instances right now when it, there are a lot, there's a lot of change that's happening right now in, in corporations because people want to work from home. And so it's almost like everything's been flipped where the employer isn't as in much as much control as the employee right now. So, but when it comes to speaking up, I think that, that people don't even know what they want to say that because they're in what happens when you are scared of speaking up it, and you've been taught that it isn't safe and you weren't taught that it isn't safe in that corporation. You were taught at a very early age. Uh, what happens is your nervous system starts to react like people with public speaking, you know, when they get their palms are sweaty or I don't know, like some people I've worked with are like, I don't even know what I'm saying when I'm up there. And, and so they check out because they're terrified. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And, and so if your nervous system is on overdrive at that point and you're, and, and you're in survival mode, cause that's what that means. Cause it's that dangerous to you on an unconscious level. Um, speaking up isn't even an option. It's just not there. It's it, you can't get, you can't get out of your own way. And that's one of the reasons I do this because think about it. Like if you're terrified just to raise your hand and ask a question, mm-hmm. how taxing is that on your body? Like that you need a nap after that. So, <laughs> so right. it's really, it's really my job to help people understand what happened, you know, and, it, and it, it, it's not rational. None of this is rational. And, you know, what do you, what is the fear ultimately? And, and, and what does that look like in terms of something that may have happened in your past? Mm-hmm. But when, when there's a sign that says, don't be afraid to speak up, it's basically saying, we know you're scared to speak <laughs> up, but don't be, they might as yeah. well write that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one other, one other thing, or one other question, or, you know, I was thinking about how to be more direct, especially when we're, we're facing an uphill battle in a power differential or dynamic. Uh-huh. So I'm curious to hear your reaction to this, if you think this was um, good advice or if you would, how, how you would address this. So I've had the chance to sit in on some training in hospitals. It's meant to help improve patient safety and encouraging people who are lower in the power dynamic and let's say an operating room, helping them be more assertive or to speak up or to confront a surgeon about a risk. And and I remember like they, they didn't just say you should speak up. Like they, they sort of taught a bit of a formula to say, let's say we'll role play. Like if you're the surgeon here, I would say, Dr. Gibson. So first off, I'm getting your attention and addressing you respectfully. Then the second thing is to say, I have a concern, which is an assertive statement that probably um, no, no, nobody should react to say, no, you don't have a concern. Right. Dr. Gibson, I have a concern we don't have enough units of blood on hand for this patient to start the procedure. I recommend that we wait until we have enough. Now, the flip side of that training is trying to encourage the physicians to not fly off the handle when somebody does speak up. I'm, I'm curious your reaction to that approach or that type of scenario. So from what I understand, surgeons are like, they think they're God, first of all, right? So there's that element of being perfect. But um, what I would want to do is have a conversation before you're in the operating room and say, how do you feel, Dr. Surgeon, about your assistant or this new person bringing up concerns? How do you want that relayed to you so that it works for you and doesn't interfere with your focus? So I would do it before. Yeah. And it seems like there's, there's both sides here and to ask it a different way, thinking of, you know, being a confrontationalist and coaching people through confrontation. Do you coach people to be a better receiver of a confrontational statement? Yes. So, so here's the the deal in order to be good at confrontation, my definition, you have to be present in your body, in the room, which means you're not in your head where all your fear is. So if I say to you, you know, this was something that, that, you know, let's just say I have an idea or I need you to do something that you haven't done. And I'm trying to manage up 
right? And so you're my boss. And, and so one of the things that is a really great um, way to approach things because is to say, would you mind if I made an observation, right? So you're basically asking, can I give you an observation about something? And this is what you want to talk about. So no one ever says no, right? So if you're able to do that, and then the person says something back to you, in order for you to get done what you need to do, you have to be able to hear your boss. So most likely, if you're able to get the, may I make an observation out of your mouth, that you're already less scared, right? It's like an icebreaker. You're approaching this person in a softer way. No one, I do this with the coaching. Do you mind if I make an observation? It's it's a way to give your opinion without saying it's your opinion. And, and then when someone says something back, let's say you're in a really bad mood and I haven't said anything to you and you kind of like bark at me, right? And that's kind of something. And, and so what you're doing is you're taking your crap out on me And um, one of the things that you could do is go, um, I'm wondering, this isn't how you usually are. Did something happen this morning? Right? So you're addressing, you have to know that that's not their usual style, or you have to know that people who who treat you poorly are usually very unhappy. So if you appeal to the human side of them, you have to though be there. You have to be present and you have to trust yourself. Does that make sense? I'm saying, yeah. I mean, so it sounds like there's uh, there there are approaches, words to use, way of preface. What I hear you saying, talking about is prefacing things to give feedback in a way that's less threatening. Absolutely, like there's a storytelling element to it. it I mean, it's really you know one of the things that I that people always say often say is I have something I need to talk to someone about, and I don't know how to start that conversation. Mm-hmm. And so I say, say that, say this, there's something I've been wanting to talk about. I'm not sure how to start. Um, If you could just let me fumble my way to the point, I would appreciate this. I will get there. So what are you doing when you do that? You're disarming this other person. You're asking them for help. Asking someone for help is always a good idea because, I mean, and, and nobody is good at asking for help either, but that's a whole other thing. But, but, um, but if, if you say to that person, there's this thing I've been trying and I can't figure it out. You're allowing that person is going to allow you and you're going to allow you to figure it out. So it's about the setup. Yeah. And you know, the way you're describing this, um, you know, it changes that perception or that definition, nothing, you know, your, your, your coaching and your advice, of course, isn't, um, you know, be aggressive, catch them off guard, blah, blah, blah. Like it's not this, this aggressiveness that that's part of that negative connotation that often comes with the word confrontation. It's not. And that's, that's my hope, you know, to try and change the definition because I mean, listen, I'm, I am, I am direct, like I cut through everything. So if you're Mm -hmm. talking to me, Chances are you, if you talk to me for a few minutes, you kind of get what my style is. So if you then say something to me and I'm like, I, this person is talking in circles and I say to you, I'm really not understanding your point mm-hmm. by the time like that might hurt you a little bit, but well, what am I supposed to say instead? Sure. You know, what am, what are you getting at or whatever it is, 
I don't know how else to say it. It's, mm-hmm. I want to know what you're saying, what the reason is so that I can just address it. And so, you know, one of the things that this, you need to also be, that one of the results of this is authenticity. So people trust authentic people. So even if you're like, Positive sometimes perceived as positive or perceived as being saying something negative. Regardless, there is the trust that you are a full bodied individual and that when you say something that is positive, that you mean it. And when you say something that isn't as positive, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Authenticity is really a key part of this, also. Yeah. Well, our guest again has been Danielle Gibson. Um, her website is theconfrontationalist.com. Uh, it says on, on, on your website under, you know, services, and it says, uh, there's an interesting phrase there, rent you for a day. Yeah. <laughs> Who, can an individual do that? Does an organization do that? Both? Well, you know, generally speaking, it's a, um, it's a, it's a, it's a boss, if you will, right? Because it's really about having me come in and watching the dynamics of the person in charge throughout the day. So if, if, if the CEO or an upper management SVP or whatever, and they have a slew of meetings or I'm sitting in the office and I'm watching how people interact, I'm not just watching the person who's in charge. I'm watching the dynamic and I'm also feeling the culture of the department as well. So I only get my client side of the story when I work with them. But if I'm sitting in a room and I can feel the energy of the room and I could see people not speaking up, or if I'm on a Zoom call with somebody, with with the team, I can get a lot of, I can understand what what a lot of the problems are really quickly. That sounds a lot more effective than, let's say, if somebody were to just ask you, Danielle, come in and do some training about confrontation. you, you, You want to observe and sort of diagnose what's happening, right? Right. But with training, though, I can get similar information because those same people that won't raise their hand in that meeting with their boss, they're not going to raise their hand with me either. So I can then go. So I noticed that some of you aren't really participating. Why don't we talk about that? There must be things you want to say. And and so there's this really great adage, how you do one thing is how you do everything. So. If you're not speaking up at work, you're not speaking up at home, you're not speaking up with your friends, you're not speaking up with your spouse, like it's everywhere. So when someone hires me for one specific area and it's very often work, miraculously, their marriage gets better. <laughs> you know, it's just all of a sudden there's greater transparency. And I'm, I'm assuming people hire you because they think there's some sort of problem. Hopefully they do so before things become too dysfunctional or too toxic so that it it seems unsolvable? Well, that would be ideal, wouldn't it? But, uh, (laughs) but by the time, the reason I get hired is because there's a feeling of stuckness Mm -hmm. that they're, that they can finally feel. So I, nothing is never you, there's never a time when something can't be solved ever, like in my mind. And so, you know, if somebody very often the person who comes to me understands that there's there's a problem and then i find out what all of the 
how that problem mm-hmm. manifests in different areas and also what are some of the other ones? Because very often the thing that we think is the problem is not necessarily the problem. For any of us who are consultants, that's very much um, often the case. But um, you know that opportunity to come in and uh, observe and listen and try to help them frame or reframe the problem in a way that's going to be most helpful, that's powerful. Yeah, I mean, reframing is, I was on the phone with a, with someone the other day who had just made partner and that person was terrified about it and, and had this idea of what, what that person was going to have to do. And, and, uh, and I said, well, why can't it be something like this? And she's like, oh my God, that would be amazing. And I said, well, then that's what you should do (laughs) because (laughs) you like that. So we, one of the things I'm sure you find this, but one of the things people often do is they think of something and immediately discount it mm-hmm. as it's not doable for no reason at all, other than it's their, their idea. Uh, this, we can't do this. And sometimes you literally can't do something, but if you, if it makes sense, you figure it out. Impossible. Does it violate laws of physics or is right. it just sort of a self-defeating self-fulfilling prophecy? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, the same thing goes for me when I've worked on myself and I have been my second full-time job for many, many decades now. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I'm looking at something going, I can't do this thing that's right in front of me when I don't realize that, that it isn't that, that that's the symptom of something else. And, but when you're, when you're stuck and you're looking at something and the, I can't, or if only, or all this kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. um, you can't see it, which is why I hire coaches also. Yeah. Right. Well, Danielle, thank you for sharing your experiences on you know, both sides of that equation of hiring someone to work with you and, and being hired and working with people around um, communication and, and confrontation and, and making things better. So I appreciate you joining us today. Our guest again has been Danielle Gibson. The website is The Confrontationalist dot com and Danielle, you you've got if people um, are curious about renting you for a day or more, or they they, they can schedule a call with you and see if that's absolutely a good on my website. There's a I believe it's a contact me, um, and it and my email is hello at the confrontationalist. There's also a form on my website. You can also go to at the underscore confrontationalist on Instagram mm-hmm. and DM me there. Um, there are multiple ways to get to get to me. And that goes to show confrontation. You know, the email address is hello at the confrontationalist.com, not what the mat what's the matter with you at the confrontationalist. <laughs> right. Well, that would be a little long also. But but uh <laughs> but no, I mean it's it's really like I said, it's very it's I think it's unfortunate that the things that really bottle us up inside are simply things that we want to, I think of, I think of this as being a self-expression from an energetic. I mean, think about all that crap that that stays in your body when you don't say something. So I know that's not what you were talking about, but I think it's really (laughs) feel pretty strongly about this. Well, thank you for um, sharing those strongly held beliefs and and views. And it's very helpful, very interesting today. So Danielle, thanks again. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Well, thanks again to Danielle Gibson for being our guest today. To learn more about her, again, look for links in the show notes, or you can go to the website at markraven.com slash mistake 150. 
As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.